There's a uh, there's a place in uh, northern Houston. It's known as the Woodlands, and uh, it's it, it, it's a nice area, obviously. But it's it's so funny because it's one of those places that's like very full of itself. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like uh, Houston, uh, the Woodlands voted best city to live in. Fucking forty years running. And it's voted on by like the people who live in the woodlands, so it's a nice area. I enjoy it, but it's it's very high on itself. And uh, every time I, every time I go up there, I know I'm near the woodlands because it's just the influx of BMWs. You see, it's like their main export is BMWs, and uh, yeah. So it's just it, it it's a nice little area. And uh, I was up there recently, and I was I went uh, I went and got some food, and I was back in the parking garage and. You know when you hear someone like who's upset and you can tell they don't curse a lot. Um, I just hear someone like across the way going, "Shit, fuck, 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 shit, fuck, 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 shit, oh fucking shit, fuck." I'm like, "Ah, oh, okay, we got action over here." So I go over and uh, I saunter on by, and it's this uh, woman. She's probably in her late fifties, early sixties, very well dressed, obviously a Woodlands resident, and um, she's in her little BMW SUV, and she's going to the seats and she's like fuck shit fuck shit and i'm like you came in she goes I th- my fucking my fucking shit car just got broken into fuck shit oh my god i'm like oh wow and she's like yeah fuck fucking shit fuck she's like they took my laptop and they and my my papers that i needed for work aren't here oh and i'm just like okay well do you want to go see if like there's security videos around here or something that the garage uses and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help out. And she just goes, <laughs> and in the middle of it, she literally goes, fuck. And then they, they literally, they took my parking ticket and then they literally left like another set of keys in here. And I was like, hmm. And then she kind of realized at the same time, she goes, oh, is this even my car? And then she went down like a few cars over. And the exact same BMW SUV was sitting there. And she goes, oh, my God. So she was essentially just rifling through somebody else's car, uh, saying, fuck shit, fuck shit, thinking she was robbed. And uh, <laughs> that's why I love the Woodlands, man. Fucking, it's chaos up there. Uh, hey, everybody. Thank you for <laughs> listening. It just happened. I just thought it was really funny. Identical BMW SUVs. And she's like, oh, my God, I've been robbed. I'm like, I, I doubt that, Sarah. I doubt that very much. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. I, uh, I'm your host, Mike Sensi. This is the Standby Podcast, the podcast you listen to because you don't know who I am. <laughs> and you won't be impressed. I'm, I'm very boring. Um, I want to do something different today than usual. Um, I'm going to read two articles, right? Uh, everybody, no matter, ever since I've joined, there's been this infatuation in the Navy, in, in all of the military, really. Uh, with the Navy SEALs. Now, for those who don't know, Navy SEALs are our premier uh, elite commando force. Obviously, you know the rigors of their training, of their mission set. All the movies and video games are about Navy SEALs, right? Um, and it, But it is weird, because we put this fascination with this organization that's supposed to be secret, but then is not secret, because egos get involved, and people write books and make movies and shit about real events, which shouldn't be happening, but hey, you make your money. Um yeah, it's, it's, it is weird the amount of kind of dick writing about the SEALs that we do, even though the military in general is full of brave men and women who do incredible things all the time, but I think there's something just so, uh, so commercially satisfying about just SEALs, um, but somebody sent me this article, and it literally is, uh, was it, came out on Friday, today's Monday, 
um, it just came out, and it kind of proved my point. All right, so writer named Dave Phillips, I'm sure he's very nice, uh, for the New York Times. The article's title, first of all, because I'm going to do two articles, right? I'm going to do one about the SEALs, then one about the more elite Navy RPs, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, I, had to pay, I had to pay like $2 to subscribe for the New York Times, and I feel disgusting, but uh, this is all for you. So uh, it's, uh, the header is, Recruited for the Navy SEALs, Many Sailors Wind Up Scraping Paint. The high failure rate of the elite forces selection course shunts hundreds of candidates into low-skilled jobs. Oh my god, I'm fucking, I'm ready to read this New York Times article about stuff they don't know what they're talking about. <clears throat> Here we go. The sailor fresh out of the elite Navy SEAL selection course slung his gear over his broad shoulder and clomped down a steel ladder into the guts of a Navy ship to execute a difficult days-long mission specifically assigned to him, scrubbing the stinking scum out of the ship's carnivorous bilge tank. Hardly the stuff of action movies, but it's how many would-be SEALs end up. The Navy attracts recruits for SEALs, using flashy images of warriors jumping from planes or rising menacingly from the dark surf. But very few make it through the Howling selection course, and those who do still don't owe the Navy the rest of their four-year enlistments. Well, excuse me, those who don't still owe the Navy the rest of their four-year enlistments. So they end up doing whatever Navy jobs are available, often menial work that few others want. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give this article a fair shake, but um, that's just not true. So, And I understand they need to do this for civilians who want to read shit and be captivated. I, I understand the creative process of writing something to gain and gather attention. I understand that. But, and I'm also not going to pick apart every word. I will every few paragraphs, but that's just not true. They end up doing jobs nobody wants to do is not true. <coughs> the article continues. <laughs> the recruits are almost all hyper-motivated overachievers, often with college degrees, who have passed a battery of strength and intelligence tests. But many find themselves washing dishes in cramped galleys, cleaning toilets on submarines, or scraping paint on aircraft carriers. Unlike civilian workers, they cannot quit. To walk away would be a crime. Until their enlistment is done, they are stuck. I mean, that's... Yeah. Okay, I'll just keep reading. I don't, I don't want to go too much. Quote, I'm just thrown away here. I'm a nobody. The sailor said who was assigned to claim the, bu- the bilge said in an interview. My supervisor doesn't even know my name. Okay, <laughs> so what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry, nameless sailor who quit buds like other sailors who were interviewed for this article he requested that his name not be used because he was not authorized to speak publicly and feared retribution also and eh, probably eh, that's probably true if he's a younger guy who just failed a pipeline and he yeah he probably feels some type of way quote almost everyone i know who tried out ended up the way i did the sailor said basically we're just all scraping paint Relegating promises, promising candidates who don't quite clear the bar to years of drudgery would be a harsh arrangement even if the SEAL selection course were running as designed, but lately, it hasn't been. Classes that were always hard become dangerous. A number of sailors were hospitalized. Others were forced to quit if they wanted medical care. And in February, one sailor died. Now, again, another pause. The sailor who passed away... Um, Again, if you're not military or if you're not Navy or if you're not in this world, you may not know. Um, there was a sailor who he had graduated Hell Week and then he had complications with pneumonia 
he died a few days later in a hospital bed. So that is true. Somebody did pass away from training, but it wasn't it wasn't as nefarious as this article would like it to be. It wasn't like they were pushing his head in the sand and saying, die or quit. Um, he had complications with pneumonia and passed away. I mean, rest in peace. That's That kid was a warrior. He wasn't going to quit. The course known as BUDS is meant to s- simulate the extreme stress of special operations combat missions. Recruits who can't take long days of struggle and cold announce their decision to quit by voluntarily, voluntarily ringing a brass bell near the beach where they train. On average, about 70% of each class over the last decade has rung that bell. Rung that bell. But the rate suddenly soared in 2021, reaching as high as 93%. The Navy is now conducting a high-level investigation into what happened. A spokesman said he could not comment on the causes until the investigation concluded. But in interviews, Navy officers, SEALs, and sailors who attempted the course say instructors started pushing it beyond what safety regulations allow. Kicking and punching recruits, making already grueling tasks hazardous, and at times denying medical care to the injured sailors unless they first dropped out of the course. All right, well, I'm going to say something about the jump up, right? Upon looking at that, 93% uh, quitting is crazy, um, even for these jobs. But the reason we had a spike in that is because when COVID happened, we st- the Navy still needed numbers. And so we were obviously, and I only know this because I work in recruiting, uh, we were still putting people in the Navy, but it was never, it, it wasn't like it is now where they have to go to maps and do all this. So a lot of it was, uh, like, if you want to be a SEAL, all you had to do is pass some stuff to qualify for military service, and then you just shipped off with a SEAL contract. So you never actually got to, like, meet a scout like myself, what I do, like, physically train people and get them prepared to do what they're about to do. Um you just got a contract and went. So obviously, obviously these numbers are going to jump up when people like that are put in those situations. And uh, yeah, that, that's the reason. Um, they got rid of what's called 800 divisions in boot camp where everybody going through spec war pipelines, they all have their own boot camp division where they work out a little bit more, they get a little bit more to eat, and they really set them up for success. They got rid of those. So now if you want to be a Navy SEAL, you go into the same boot camp class as you know, people who have no ambitions on that stuff. So the training isn't as as uh, intense as it needs to be to set you up for success. So I, 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 don't, I don't doubt that those numbers fucking jumped up. The article continues. Some candidates turn to illegal performance-enhancing drugs just to get through. Others just push to their breaking point. Classes that started with 150 recruits now finishing with fewer than 10. In Navy records, nearly all the dropouts appear to be voluntary. But the sailors said that, in reality, a majority were sick or injured. It was not unusual, they said, to see men carried to the bell because they could not walk. After, after the death in February, the service disciplined three officers and made changes to rein in instructors and provide better medical care. Graduation rates improved. And the Navy says it's working to, uh, to have better alternatives for recruits who drop out. Okay. I mean, but still, like, okay, whatever. This week, Congress passed an amendment requiring the Defa- Department of Defense Department Department. <laughs> Got him. This week, Congress passed an amendment requiring the Defense Department to conduct an independent review of the training. But a little has been done to give the sailors who rang the bell when the course was at its most brutal are now deckhands, janitors, or dishwashers a second chance to become a SEAL or a quick exit from the Navy. Quote: We all wanted to do something extraordinary. 
and now we are doing what it feels like the farthest thing from it, said a sailor who arrived at the selection course in 2021 with a marketing degree and, a good, and good civilian job prospects, but he quit after a leg injury that required hospitalization. He now sweeps the hangar deck of an aircraft carrier. He and others have asked to transfer to the Army Marines, hoping to do this, the same kind of intense work that they signed up for with the SEALs. But he said his chain of command seemed determined to keep him as a deck sweeper. Quote, it feels like prison, he said. I, I don't feel like there's any way out. Honestly, I've just completely contemplated jumping off the boat. <clears throat> what can feel like punishment is mainly a flawed process. SEALs created a selection course that prioritized identifying the toughest handful of candidates while casting aside the vast majority who attempted it. The SEAL leadership treated those who left the course as an afterthought and did little to put them on a meaningful career path. Instead, the bell ringers were hurried off into a vast military system that often had no obvious place for them and plugged them into whatever low-level job needed filling at the moment. Navy officials say they are working to improve this process, but every few months the SEALs still send scores more sailors to scrape <coughs> send scores more. That's oh, it's gonna send scores more. I'm an idiot. Uh, but every few months, the seals still send scores more sailors to scrape paint and sweep decks. Things were different before the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. In those days, sailors were required to train for regular navy profession, known as a rate, before they could attempt the seal course. Dropouts from the course could return to the rate that they had trained for. But in 2006, faced with a mandate to drastically expand the seals the Navy began allowing new recruits to go into the course directly. That, f that helped fill the training pipeline, but it also produced thousands of, quote, undesignated sailors, washed-out SEAL recruits with no rate, el eligible only for low-skilled labor. Sailors who went through the course said that what separated bell ringers from the newly minted SEALs was, at times, little more than luck. <laughs> oh, man. See, this is why you can't trust these fucking, these bell ringers, because they now they're salty. Oh, it was, they, they got through because they were lucky. Okay. <laughs> Whether it was a wrong step led to a sprained ankle, or if high bacteria counts in the ocean cause sickness. But the reverbs last for years. <laughs> oh, my God. Sailors said they knew going into the course that ring the bell might mean serving out their enlistments in the low-skilled work below decks. What they didn't know, they said, was that the, they would attempt the, the course when SEAL instructors were striking students and blocking medical care, and when other sailors were using drugs just to get ahead. I mean, this is why it's so important to really know what you're getting into, right? These, I, I, again, I, I work in this field that puts people into these pipelines, and man, uh, the amount of them that really really don't know what they're getting into because they see, I just, they, they say, I just want to be tough. Understood. I, I got you, man. Um, but there's a difference between being tough and being ready for what you're about to embark on. Um, and a lot of them aren't. So I, 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 it drives me nuts to see all these people like, oh, I quit because the instructor hated me. I, I quit. Cause I, and again, I don't want to sound too cynical because a lot of these people go through with these aspirations. They either get hurt or sick. And that, I mean, that stuff, that fucking shit happens all the time. But I, I mean, like I tell these guys, if you're a good dude and the instructors don't hate you, I mean, they hate everybody, but I get that. If they don't hate you and they see there's some potential in you, they're not going to throw you aside. The Navy can't afford to be throwing people aside. I mean, they do, but... They can't afford to be throwing good candidates aside because there's so many people I know 
that got hurt and they're like, oh, fuck, I, I'm not going to quit, but I, I, you know, I don't want to do anything else. They roll them back in classes. They fucking, they do what they can to hook them up. I knew one guy, I'm sorry to get off track, but I knew one guy I served with as another RP. He fucking broke his femur in training and he uh, healed up, but he got a, he got a, like a no shit stamped letter from the CEO over at Bud's at the time it said petty officer i'm not gonna say his name petty officer so-and-so can return to the buds facility to resume seal training at any time and unfortunately his injury wouldn't allow him to do that but um they 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 want quality people so let's let's not get that shit twisted <clears throat> all right let's go back not all bell ringers end up in work they hate the spat of suicides in 2016 prompted the navy to improve the options for them Many are now trained to become divers, rescue swimmers, or explosive experts. But paradoxically, sailors say, the first few to give up in each class seem to get the best opportunities. Those who stick it out the longest are left with the dregs. I don't know how true that is. It doesn't sound true, but hey, whatever. Many go to new assignments hauling the weight of dashed dreams. They can feel cheated, angry, or consumed by blame. In, in October, a sailor threw himself from the fifth floor window of his barracks shortly after ringing the bell. According to two military officers with knowledge of the suicide attempt who spoke on condition of anonymity, the sailor lived, but sustained serious injuries. Members of Congress are now asking whether fundamental changes are needed. In November, Representative Jackie Speer, a Democrat of California, Speer, I think I said it right, I'm sorry, who chairs the uh, House Armed Services Subcommittee on Military Personnel, spent two days in Coronado, California, where this course is held. In an interview, she said she was concerned about how some were being treated. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave that be. It, it, yeah. That feeling you all just got in your stomach listening to that, that's, that's how I feel too. <clears throat> Quote, It's painful to watch, she said, of the course noting that one sailor was hospitalized while she was there. I know it has to be tough, but there must be some way to get the talent they need without ruining people. Ms. Spear called for an outside audit to examine how many students were being injured and how many were winding up in menial jobs. Quote, Truly, these, these are committed young men that want, you want to see succeed, she said. We, just, we don't want to, to just disregard I'm sorry, I can't read. We don't want to just disregard them. Candidates who drop out of SEAL course are usually given a few days to choose a new Navy job from what they say is generally a very short list. Their civilian skills and qualifications, they say, rarely get much weight. One sailor had a nursing degree. Another spoke Russian. Both are now swapping decks. Well, I mean, yeah. Fucking... <sighs> the spokeswoman for the Chief of Na Naval Personnel said in a statement that only a minority of sailors who quit the course end up undesignated while many go on to fulfilling careers. The, spokes, the spokeswoman, Captain Jody Cornell, Cornell, added that, quote, the Navy has made substantial efforts over the last couple of years to work with sailors reassigned from BUDS in order to place them in specific ratings to benefit the Navy and the sailor. In the fleet, former SEAL candidates are often labeled BUDS duds. That's true. And have a reputation for showing a riddle with physical and mental health problems from their time with the SEALs. See, that that quote right there is the reason. Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep reading, but I put a pin in that. And for harboring toxic resentment toward the Navy, two officers said. <clears throat> I'm going to go back to that quote because if, if, you're not, if you're not cut out for it, right, then you're not cut out for it. doesn't mean you're not tough. doesn't mean you're not anything. 
but to say like they're all damaged is putting the stigma on them. I know so many dudes who quit these pipelines, men and women who quit these pipelines and say, hey, it wasn't for me. They went on to do normal things. They weren't all fucking damaged mentally and physically and fucking, you know, uh, they weren't just like chaos to themselves and others. Like they were very normal people. The few people who kind of act like that, I can understand. It, it takes an alpha mentality to try out for these things. And when you lose, you kind of, you're usually younger, you know, you're full of testosterone, you're in shape and you're angry. And I, I get it. I understand. But to label them all as damaged uh, from their time with the SEALs is fucking crazy. And it's just not true. It just, it, it just makes us all look fucking really stupid. I don't know. I, I The civilian... Uh, the civilian misconception of military servicemen and women in general is like, yeah, you, you served, great, but now you're damaged. And then you can go, oh, no, I, I think I'm okay. Nope, you're damaged. You're damaged assets. We were going to help you because that's what we civilians do because thank you for your service. But you're damaged. So act damaged and act accordingly. And I, I can't stand that shit. <clears throat> uh, where was I at? Uh, I think I'm going to be... <sighs> I'm going to scroll down a lot because there's a lot of, as you can imagine, with the New York Times, there's a lot of uh, kind of uh, political stuff in this, and I, I do not want to do that. Um, that's, I, I mean, okay, to be honest, that's kind of it because the rest is just like political, and I don't want to get into that. If you want to read the whole article, go to the fucking New York Times and you fucking read it, but I want to read that because a few things. Number one, it just reinforces the... Uh, people's fascination with seal culture and which is fine I get it um but it it kind of drives me nuts because I mean why like it, it just makes no sense the army has their their green beanies their green berets you know the air force has the air force in my opinion might have the best special warfare program there is just from the the training pipeline and the actual jobs that come with it um but you don't hear a lot of that I mean, honestly same with the coast guard uh, a lot of people don't recognize the Coast Guard's special operations stuff, um, and they need to they need to be in the limelight a little bit more because they do some really impressive things. Um, and the Marine Corps, I mean, <laughs> the Marine Corps is just the Marine Corps. They're great at everything they do, and they'll fucking let you know it. Um, but yeah, it just it it further emphasizes people's obsession with the SEAL culture and stuff. But also, on the other hand, it's doing that one thing where it's like we aren't getting these men and women help. It's like, yeah, why don't we start with the the overall military, you know, fucking population. Not just these people who quit something they didn't want to do anymore. Um, and put, like, them under a microscope and say, how are we helping them? We're helping them by fucking keeping them employed for years. If you don't want to do the military anymore, then get out. And that's fine. If you're having trouble while you're in the military, we have resources to help. A lot of people... The military sucks a lot. I, I I'll be the first to admit that, and I've had a lot a lot of struggles with different stuff, but I've always found a way out because there are more good people than bad people. There's more people that want to see you succeed than want to see you fail. Now, there's plenty of the latter out there, but you need to seek out the good people. So, um, you got to put some impetus on yourself. If you're going through something similar like this, that sucks. It does suck, but you need to find your way out on your own, man or woman. Um. It, it 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 shouldn't be everybody else's problem. <clears throat> Excuse me to take care of you when you volunteered for something so difficult. But I don't know. I just again the the fascination with the the Navy SEALs 
drives me crazy. You know why? Because they're not talking about the real warriors out there. I'm talking about Navy RPs. Let's talk about it, shall we? Are Navy RPs better than the Navy SEALs? It's tough to say. But yes. And here's why. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Well, obviously, that's, I'm fucking kidding. Uh, for people who don't know what a- Navy RPs are, that's what I've done uh, when I was operational. Um, and uh, I, pretty much we're just like fucking enlisted advisors to chaplains. Like we do, there, we have combat roles and we do some, some high-speed stuff once in a while, but that's not the norm. It is not the norm. The norm is when you see fucking, <laughs> uh, if you Google Navy, Navy RP and it's like that dude or that chick, like moving across, like to the right on a table. They're like, boom, Navy RP. Aren't you fucking sold? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I do want to talk about RPs though because uh, yeah, there's another article that goes along with our struggle. Can you believe it? Honestly, it's kind of times like this. I wish I had sponsors so I could do an ad read real quick. <laughs> uh, just to, like, break up the fucking thing. But it's all content, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so this this article is actually something that kind of... Uh, maybe some of the older RPs, all two of us, uh, you know, remember from back in the day. It's an article from, an article from 2010 um, by the... Uh, Wall Street Journal, because they do actual reporting, New York Times, they talk about real shit like RPs, not the fucking Navy squeals. Um, they had uh, a writer named Michael Phillips did an article called A Chaplain and an Atheist Go to War. Now, again, uh, synopsis about the RP job. So in the Navy, you have what are called Navy chaplains, and they are commissioned officers, and they're also... Uh, religious leaders in their community, and they help with uh, spiritual and mental counseling uh, if a service member needs help. Um, they do uh, services if that's uh, the kind of the environment they're in. They are all things. They're kind of like the priest, right? That's what everybody kind of calls them, the padre, as the British say. Um, and sometimes chaplains go with units or environments where they are in danger. And th- per the Geneva Convention, they cannot carry a weapon. They can't defend themselves. They can't. They literally. They don't, don't get issued a gun. They get nothing. They are just there. It's them and their, uh, and their rosaries and Jesus, and they are in some hot areas. So, obviously, as you can imagine, uh, they'll need someone to help them. And that's where, uh, you know, expeditionary or FMFRPs come in. And what they do is they essentially travel alongside them as their aid, as their driver, anything they need, and also they work as their personal security. It's a unique job in that um, in the military you have what's called PSD, Personal Security Detachment. And that's usually a few soldiers, a few Marines, a few sailors, something. And they, you know, you work together and if you're traveling, you know, with a high-ranking officer or a VIP, you work in teams to keep them safe and keep them going. But RPs have this weird thing where it's a one-on-one, uh, it's a one-on-one gig. You, you don't have any backup. You don't have a squad or a fire team. It's just you, the rifleman and a commissioned officer, and that's it. It's your, jo- it's your job to keep uh, predominantly uh, Christian uh, leaders safe in a, usually, from what I've experienced, Muslim territory. So it's always cool. Um, they are definitely uh, uh, under the scope sometimes. So, again, uh, this article is called A Chaplain and Atheist Go to War, right? Uh, and, again, this is from 2010. This is, like, a uh, little bit when I, like, right when I came in. 
Yeah, the article begins, saying in Afghanistan, I've been there, it's terrible. They say there's no atheists in foxholes, but there's one on the front lines here, and the chaplain isn't thrilled about it. That's a header right there, boy. Navy chaplain Terry Morgan is steeped in the Bible and believes all of it. His assistant, religious program specialist second class, Philip Shute, is steeped in the Bible and having none of it. Together they roam this town in Taliban country, comforting grunts while crossing swords with each other over everything from the power of angels to the wisdom of standing in clear view of enemy snipers. Lieutenant Morgan, age 48, preaches about divine protection, while 25-year-old RP2 Shute covers the chaplain's back and wishes he were more attentive to the dangers of the here and now. It's a match made well in the Pentagon. It's a cute little cute little thing there. <clears throat> Quote, He trusts God is just going to keep himself, says RP2 Shoot, and I'm just here just in case that doesn't work out. 460 Army, Navy, and Air Force chaplains deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan are, pro- are prohibited from carrying weapons, counting on their uh, assistance and troops around them for protection. It can be a perilous calling. On Monday, Chaplain Dale Goats, 43 of white... Uh, South Dakota, and four other soldiers were killed by a roadside bomb near Kandahar. Captain Gautiez is the first Army chaplain killed while in action since the Vietnam War. <coughs> Army chaplains represent... I don't know why he's doing Army. as a Navy article. What the fuck? Army chaplains represent 130 regions and denominations, including Catholicism, Judaism, Islam, and Buddhism. The military says it's common for assistance to be Uh, of different faiths from the chaplains they support, or no faith at all. Quote, They don't have to be religious, says retired Navy Captain Randy Cash, who served 30 years in the chaplain corps. They just have to be able to shoot straight. In the case of Chaplain Morgan and RP2 Shoot, their theological paths diverged long before the careers past joined. Terry Morgan grew up in Spokane, Washington, a seven-day Adventist, and a denomination that believes Sabbath should be on Saturday, not Sunday. <laughs> That's the one thing. Other than that, oh, they're identical. Sunday, not Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, not Sunday. Everything else identical. <laughs> Though he admits some to some useful indiscretions and flirted briefly with the lure of dentistry, by the age of 15, he was feeling the pull of ministry. A minister spoke at his high school and read a passage from the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup him with sup with him and he with me. Okay, sounds a little <clears throat> anyway. In the audience, Lieutenant Morgan, quote, felt the spiritual uh, become real. Two years later, in nineteen seventy eight, the same minister was back urging students to join the clergy. This time Lieutenant Morgan took him took him up on it, becoming a student missionary in Indonesia, then studying theology at Walla Walla College. He preached at churches and counseled in hospitals. By the age of 39, just prior to September 11th attacks, he heard there was a shortage of Navy chaplains and he signed up. After several non-combat jobs, he volunteered to minister with the Marine Infantry, knowing that such an assignment would likely mean he'd end up in Iraq or Afghanistan. Quote, I needed another deployment in order to stay competitive with my peers, he says. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, that's, 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 that's how it would be. He drew a 3rd Battalion, 7th Marine Regiment, a unit headed for Afghanistan's violent Helmand province. The Marine Corps is a naval service, and Navy chaplains minister to Marines. Lieutenant Morgan takes the Bible at its word, rejects the evolution of species, and believes the Earth to be 6,000 years old. He carries a large Bible with him into the combat zone, while RP, 
<laughs> while RP2 shoot totes writings of Richard Dawkins, the evolutionary biologist and fierce critic of the notion that God designed the universe. Now, I think now obviously this article is less about uh, roles and responsibilities of RPs and chaplains and more about the dynamic of an atheist and a religious figure working together, but I just I think it's funny. <laughs> <clears throat> Philip Shute was raised a uh, devout Baptist in Nova Scotia and moved to Greenville, South Carolina as a teen. His avid reading of the Bible, however, weakened his belief the fact uh, weakened his belief that fact lay behind faith. I'm so sorry, I can't read. He soon was, quote, a full-blown atheist, he says. He wasted a few years after graduating from high school and then joined the Navy. As a Canadian citizen at the time, he found an interesting career fields that were uh, close to him, including the top-choice nuclear submarine technician. Now, obviously, if you're not a citizen, is what they're saying. You can't do some of these some of these jobs. <coughs> uh, religious program specialist sounded better than Cook, he said. So he he then rose to the rank of RP2, the equivalent of an army sergeant, and worked with three other chaplains before he was paired with Lieutenant Morgan late last year. Soon they were assigned to work together. They had to they had the inevitable discussion about RP2 shoots beliefs. At first, the chaplain got the sense that RP2 shoot was agnostic. Quote, I can work with that, Lieutenant Morgan recalls thinking. But a few days later, RP2 <laughs> shoot dropped a, the A-bomb. He was an atheist. Oh my, oh my God. Whew. I don't know. Story's heating up. <laughs> Appalled, <laughs> Lieutenant Morgan contacted his fellow chaplains. He says he was simply seeking counsel about whether atheists can really be chaplains' assistants. RP2 shoot is convinced that Lieutenant Morgan is trying to trade him for a uh, trade him in for a believer. Now you know what's funny about that. That shit happens a lot. Not so much the atheist, but like uh, in in any job where there's an immediate enlisted to officer ratio. I've found officers a lot of the time if they don't like who you know who they've been paired with or drafted with, you know, they will make those calls and try and change. I've never been asked to change change out because I'm a fucking superstar, but. Uh, that shit happens a lot. I, th- I always thought that was a very funny dynamic. RP2 Shoot was senior among Lieutenant Morgan's possible assistants. More importantly, he already had two combat tours under his belt, while Lieutenant Morgan hadn't yet seen a bullet fly. In the end, Lieutenant Morgan says he chose experience over faith. Quote, We're here for security, says RP2 Shoot. We're not junior chaplains. The theological differences between uh, messages... Uh, what is that? Messrs. Morgan and Shute. I don't fucking know. The theological differences between Morgan and Shute have practical ramifications, though. Visible during a recent foot patrol in Sangin, a farm town of 20,000, where the Musakala and the Helmand Rivers meet in the heart of Taliban country. Very dangerous area. For the, I've been there. It's insanely dangerous. The chaplain's aim was to link up with the platoon for Lima Company that had been fighting for days and try to provide the Marines with some spiritual resupply. Sangin is crisscrossed with irrigation ditches. At one wide canal, Marine engineers had erected a metal bridge to allow troops to penetrate towards the Helmand River and slice through the Taliban strongholds. The Taliban figured that, that out, though. An insurgent sniper had recently wounded two Marines at the bridge. It was a spot that made the Marines nervous. Quote, Hey, sir, don't get out of the vehicle until I lay down a sniper screen. Gunnery Sergeant Mark Shawnen, an agnostic with a suspicion <laughs> Why are they telling the gunnies fucking... Really, I guess it's relevant to the story, but... Uh, <laughs> Gunnery Sergeant Mark Seanhan, an agnostic with the suspicion of organized religion, instructed Chaplain Morgan before the p- patrol, quote, that's where they've been getting us, and when you cross that bridge, run. 
Lieutenant Morgan wasn't troubled. Quote, I believe the Lord is going to protect us, he said. But he wondered aloud whether to finish his MRE-packaged lunch before heading to the armored vehicle. Gunny Shanahan shook his head in disbelief. When their turn came, the chaplain and his RP bolted across the bridge and pivoted into a cornfield, where the ministers stood upright. RP2 shouted at Lieutenant Morgan to get down. Take a knee, he yelled. The patrol zigzagged through the fields and waded through ditches. Only the sounds of rustling corn leaves and the muted cackle of a radio and the distant thump-thump of a helicopter flying sentry above. During a pause to allow the minesweepers to check for booby traps in the paths ahead, the chaplain, wearing his prescription eyeglasses instead of anti-shrapnel goggles, sat down on the back of an irrigation ditch, dropped his backpack on the ground, and snapped a few pictures. RP2 shoot grimaced when he noticed. Insurgents had seen more than the entire town, had seeded the entire town with powerful explosives. The Marines step in the exact footprints of the man ahead to minimize the risk. Uh, I do remember, <clears throat> just a quick side note, I remember in training when they talked about foot patrols, and they were like, uh, you have to walk in each other's footprints. I thought it was such a, like a, <laughs> such a caveman-esque way of doing things to make sure you don't step on a bomb. It's like the only way to not step on a bomb is to walk in the exact footprints of the dude in front of you. And it worked out well. It's actually pretty smart. Lieutenant <clears throat> Morgan says he follows the Marine's safety instruction and wears a helmet, despite his confidence in the divine. But the way he glides uh, blithely through battle is a constant source of worry for his assistant. Quote, All my training and all my experience doesn't help when, I'm protecting, when the man I'm protecting isn't afraid of being hurt, says RP2 Shoot. I feel you, bro. I feel you. The patrol stopped on a bombed-out house where two men from 2nd Platoon were camped out, their fingers black with dirt and faces etched with exhaustion. One Marine asked the chaplain if he'd offer quick service. Lieutenant Morgan happily agreed and laid out a napkin-sized square of fabric decorated with small red and blue hand prints of children. Quote, prayer squares, sent in by a church in, in Virginia. The children prayed over the fabric, the chaplain told the Marines. You can put them on your head and you'll know you've been prayed over he said, flopping one onto his own head like a newspaper in the rain. He laid out a selection of religious books, the new international version of the Bible in a desert camouflage, a book called Freedom from Fear. Two books promoted the protective powers of the 91st Psalm. Lieutenant Morgan told Bible stories about angels, but met with silence when he asked the Marines to relate their favorite angel stories. Quote, even now, where we are, I believe there are angels, angels present, he said. The chaplain tried to lead the men in a rousing rendition of the battle hymn of the Republic, but forgot the words after, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, and had to resort to la-la-la to fill in the blanks. <laughs> oh my god. Ugh, such shade thrown at this chaplain, I love it. But the men sang Amazing Grace enthusiastically and then thanked the chaplain warmly for providing a few minutes of relief. Quote, everybody made their deal with God before they came, said Lance Corporal Justin Balcache, a 21-year-old non-denominational Christian from Woodsboro, Texas. R.P. looked on, his impassiveness masking his disdain for talk of angels. Quote, it's frustrating to listen to tell people of things I know not to be true, but I know it's not my place to get involved when they ask for help, he says. There are times, however, when RP2 shoot feels he has to intervene and loses his own ample arsenal of biblical references dredged up from his Baptist boyhood and doubting teenage years. In August, the pair visited India Company in, in dug-in positions in a line ridge overlooking the Helmand River. The company commander asked the chaplain to visit every foxhole. Lieutenant Morgan did so, spending four hours in the mortar pit, 
fielding the Marines' questions about the end of times. The chaplain was struck both by RB2 Shute's command of the Book of Revelation and his refusal to take it seriously. Quote, He's familiar with the Christian doctrine, but chooses not to believe it, says the chaplain, a slender-faced, soft-spoken man with a fringe of gray in his black hair. That's what I find puzzling. On a visit to, T- to Keela Company, the Marine asked for a biblical ruling on tattoos. Lieutenant Morgan said the book of Leviticus bans them. RP2 Shute disagreed. Leviticus, he says, says people shouldn't get tattoos to mourn the dead. Quote, I don't believe as Chaplain Morgan believes. RP2 often tells the Marines during visits. Now, <laughs> now as an RP, I got to say, <laughs> that's bad practice, bro. Uh, you got to keep that shit in the house. There's, I mean, bro, there's been plenty of officers I disagreed with, but to do it in front of the troops is crazy. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I get it. He's obviously frustrated, but that's, that's crazy. <clears throat> At the end of the foot patrol in Sangin, the Marines sprinted back over the metal bridge, jumped into the armored vehicles that waited on the far side. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Morgan crossed and then stood for many long seconds in the open clearly visible from the compounds where the Marines suspected the insurgent sniper had his nest. On the near side of the bridge, Gunny Shanahan got out his own vehicle and yelled at the chaplain to take cover, but Lieutenant Morgan didn't seem to hear the noise over the engines. Tell the fucking chaplain to get behind the goddamn vehicle, Gunny Shanahan ra- yelled into the radio. Quote, Like bullets aren't going to kill the goddamn chaplain, he muttered to the men near him. rp shoot hustled Lieutenant Morgan to safety behind the armor plating. Later, Lieutenant Morgan explained he had been unsure which vehicle he was supposed to ride in, but his, <laughs> but his serenity had a deeper explanation. Quote, No matter what situation you find yourself in on planet Earth, God will protect you, he said after the patrol returned safely to base. All he asks is that you trust and believe in what he says, so if I find myself in a combat situation again, his promise of protection is still valid. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why the job of an RP is so much harder than SEALs. What the fuck? Dude, like, (laughs) the SEALs get fucking all kinds of grade A equipment and training and small unit tactics and years and years to perfect their craft before I'm going to do fucking non-fail missions. Meanwhile, RPs were dragging around grown-ass men and women with multiple master's degrees who don't understand the concept of death. So, you tell me which job's fucking harder. (sighs) Okay. That was a lot, right? I'm sorry, I got all, I got all passionate. <clears throat> I, I want to take this time to say thank you. Thank you to everybody who listens, subscribes, sends me emails and DMs and, you know, leaves the comments on iTunes and does all the things. It really, it really does make my day. Again, I don't, I don't get paid to do this. I don't want to do any sponsors or anything like that. I just, I like doing it. it it's fun to talk to you all and I like to uh, see that, uh, that, the effect it has on people, you know, and, and your thoughts, comments, and concerns afterwards. So, yeah, that's that's going to be it for today. An article from the New York Times, an article from the, uh, <laughs> what was the other one? The Washington Journal. Yeah, the, the far better publication, I feel. Um, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate y'all. And for those, oh, for those asking about my Howard Stern update, I uh, I have good news, I suppose. This will come out on Monday, the 12th of December, and I will be live on the Howard Stern Show on December 14th. Uh, it'll be the morning segment, so wake up early and put on Howard Stern. Um, you'll, you'll hear your boy on there. I'm going to be competing in Hollyweird Squares. 
uh, it's not quite the Drew Barrymore dating segment I had lined up, but I think this is better. Um, when it comes to that show, I think kind of control chaos is my favorite part. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun to participate in a bit that literally is controlled chaos. So if you listen, I appreciate it. If not, hey, it's whatever. Not everybody likes everything. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I got for y'all today. Uh, yeah, please uh, share this show with everybody and uh, let me know your thoughts on reading articles. I'm not a huge, if you couldn't tell me stuttering through these fucking articles, I'm not a huge reader and like fucking observer of the things like this, but I thought it was interesting. Um, just the dynamic of the Navy and the public perception. And then uh, also the same thing like with, with my job and stuff I used to do. So yeah, hope you all liked it. And as always... Stand by for more.